0: I'm Rick Sanchez and I've been doing news for 30 years in two languages all over the world here in the United States. I've interviewed what four presidents worked at four U.S. major television networks been fired by some of them. (laughs) I believe news should be honest direct maybe that's why I was fired and impactful and this is direct impact. We here in america have this uh log cabin mentality right it was taught to us in grade school when many of us were in classrooms where there was literally a bust of abraham lincoln to remind us that even a poor farmer who lived in a log cabin could grow up to become the president of the united states you see that's the exceptionalism of america no royalty here No class structures here, right? Well, hold that thought. (laughs) Hold that thought, because Reuters recently put out a study that seems to confirm just the opposite of that. And what it finds is that a fifth or more of all the political leaders who rule America today come from families who were slave owners. Slave owners. The numbers, when we break it down even further, well, it really does seem to dispel that which we of Americans have always believed differentiates us from the other places, especially the European countries that we broke away from. It's what was ingrained in us, you know, that in Europe everything is based on your class, your lineage, your status, but not here, by golly. So here's what the study did. It looked at the family records of members of Congress, the Supreme Court, the governors of all the different uh, 50 states, and the living presidents, and here's what it found. Of the 536 members of Congress, right now, 100 of them have family members or descendants who own slaves, right? In the Senate, 28 out of 100 come from families who own slaves. And of the nine members of the Supreme Court, two, Amy Coney Barrett and Neil Gorsuch, are descendants of the slavery business. Those are big numbers, right? Between 20 to 25% across the board of all the people who are in power in this country had slaves. And why is that important? Well, you know why? You know why? Because prior to the Civil War, the number of people who owned slaves in this country was 2%. 2%. That means the vast majority of Americans do not come from families who own slaves. But our leaders do. We don't, they do. Hmm. Think about it. More than 25% of the Senate, 20% of the House of Representatives, 22% of the Supreme Court, all come from families who own slaves. And what that makes clear, to me anyway, is that families who had the privilege, the power, and the money to be able to afford slaves a century ago are the same people who still have the money, the privilege, and the power over us today. Think about that. And if we ponder this next question that I'm about to pose, it kind of becomes almost creepy, if not, you know, ominous. And here it is, here's my quandary. If those are the people who come from families that somehow got our ancestors as Americans to kill each other during a civil war to protect their economic interests, what are they willing to do now? What will their grandkids, these folks in power now, right? What will they do with wars now? You know, the kind of wars that we seem to see now that never seem to end. It makes you wonder, right? Same people doing the same things, especially in light of all the wars and all the money being made on those wars of late. So let's talk about the study. This study by Reuters also finds that nearly all the living presidents, interestingly enough, George Bush, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, and yes, even Barack Obama on his mother's side are all descendants of slave owners. Only Donald Trump is... A, <laughs> Interestingly enough, who knew, right? Only Donald Trump is not a descendant of slave owners. And that's because his family came to the United States after slavery had already been abolished. If you're wondering, by the way, where Reuters got all this data, believe it or not, it's easy to get. You see, slavery was a business. It's a business enterprise. And people were essentially property. So they were all purchased and sold. And all those purchases and sales are are written down. They're documented whether it's a chair or a human being. I got an example. Look at this. This is uh, Lindsey Graham, former, uh, or not former, she's popular senator from South Carolina who had a uh, great-great-grandfather named Joseph Maddox. He had eight slaves. And, and look, at the, look at this document right here that we're showing you right now. You can read their names right there. It's on the contract, right? Sam, Zila, Reuben, James and one described only as Negro Man Sam. He sold for $155, which by today's calculation would be about $6,000. And joining us now to talk about this is uh, Calvin Dark. He's uh, not only a political analyst, but you're going to find out during this interview, and stay with me here, that there could not be a better guest to have this conversation with than... Calvin dark for reasons that you will find out during this interview and it's uh it's a pleasure to join uh, to have uh, Calvin join us today uh, how are you calvin
1: I'm doing well it's hot and i'm I'm doing great
0: well, well welcome to summertime exactly so listen um w- what do you think of this study basically what the study says is uh, one, depending on what you look at, but anywhere between a fifth to a fourth to something like that of all political, powerful leaders in the United States come from families
1: who were slaveholders.
0: What is that? When you first read that report, what did you think?
1: Well, the first thing I thought is people are probably going to misinterpret what really matters about this. You know, it turns into like the blame game. But I think it it tells us two things that are really important. One is that slavery and its aftermath is not that long ago. You know, we tend to think, oh, that centuries and centuries ago, I would hope that these members of Congress who, you know, if they didn't know the people, they knew the people that knew the people. I have that in my family. Or my great aunt talked to me about her grandmother who had been a slave. So I would hope that it would, one, show them and show the American people that it's not that far back in our history. The second thing is, is I would hope, no matter what political party that they're a part of, that understanding the after effects of slavery would inform their policy decisions. Um, And that is actually very serious, and we don't see enough lawmakers doing that. You know, we're still trying to, as a country, to decide if systemic racism is a thing.
0: But you know what, you know what, you know what really, the reason this story has struck me and made me think, and maybe it's even been one of those counterintuitive moments for me, which, you know, I should have had a V8 kind of thing, was... When I started thinking about this, I've always been so proud to be an American in that I've always felt that as an American, I lived in one of the few countries on earth where you could literally grow up poor and you know, the whole log cabin Abraham Lincoln thing. You can have no money and become president. The people who make it big in America are not there because they are like the Europeans, like those people in England where everything is class and you know, you have to be part of the Royals or the Dukes and we don't have any of that here. Anybody can just go up and be anything, and our leaders don't come from the Gilded Age or anything like that. They, they just are people who worked harder than the next guy. And guess what? After reading this study, I now think that that thought process that I grew up with and most of us grew up with is bullcrap.
1: Well, you know, I tend to be optimistic. I agree with you that we have an ideal, but we're not quite there. And I know for African Americans, it's um, kind of, you know, two sides of a coin, where on one hand, I know I grew up like a lot of African Americans, knowing that whatever I sought to achieve, I was going to have to work a lot harder um, just because of the perceptions, you know, my co- color of my skin and the racism that we haven't dealt with in this country.
0: But that's exactly it's- my point, Calvin. Mm-hmm. You just you just made my argument while trying to disagree mm-hmm. with me. You had to work twice as hard. They didn't. And we're not talking about a small percentage. Only less than 2% of Americans during the Civil War had slaves, less than 2%. And yet up to 40%, uh, up to 25% of the people in leadership today had slaves. Just think about that number real quick. I mean, 25% of the people who come from families who had slaves happen to be extremely successful and are the leaders of the United States of America while only 2% at the time actually even had slaves. The, the the math does not add up. What it says is we're no different than the Europeans. We may not call them kings and queens and dukes and all that crap, but mm-hmm. we're no different.
1: Well, I, here's what I think. First, you know, the positive side of all of that is I think it's possible, and I have hope that it'll get better. And I think Barack Obama is a good example of that. You have this dichotomy of we have racism that, in some ways, is becoming more apparent. But then, you know, we've had an African American president. But I think on that number about you know the number of people that um, you know had slaves. In my research, doing about my family and working on my book, I talked to a lot of white people who had assumed slavery and its aftermath had nothing to do with them because they said, you know, my family was poor at that time or we didn't have slaves, or my family came after uh, slavery was ended. But what I try to explain to them is, you have the people who own slaves, but then you have the people that benefited from that system And you have the people that, you know, even if they didn't have slaves, they understood that they could benefit from the system and the aftermath that it created. So it affected a lot more than just those 2%. By the way, you mentioned Barack Obama. Here's a little
0: irony for you. Uh, Among all living presidents, only one does not come from parents who had slaves. And that's not Barack Obama. It's Donald Trump. And the only reason for that, by the way, is that Donald Trump's family did not immigrate to the United States until after slavery was done. So he could not have had slaves, you know. Uh, meanwhile, President Obama, on his mother's side, comes from a family of slave- slaveholders.
1: Yeah, for me and a lot of African-Americans, that's not really a surprise because um, my great-great-great-grandfather was a slave owner. And he uh, essentially raped one of his slaves and the baby from uh, that incident was my great-great-grandfather. And so it's a very um, real- Stop
0: and think, stop. I wanna I want just stop for a moment. I want, I want our, our viewers around the world to listen to what you just said. <laughs> because it's, it's pretty amazing what you just said.
1: Well, and also it ties into the fact that my last name is Dark, D-A-R-K. <laughs> my name came from the fact that once slavery was over and you had these mixed families, you know, in this country, you know, if you had one drop of black blood, you were black. Um, Some of my relatives are very light-skinned. And what happened was they couldn't take the name of the white slave-owning family, so the name Dark was made up. That's my name today because of that. And so I think there are a lot of African Americans that have those stories. Now, one thing I want to say on um, former President Trump, I think that what well, we have to remember too even though his family came after slavery i think he has something that he could have done for two reasons one his family built their fortunes on the the system that was set up after slavery and specifically we know that during the 70s he and his father had a lot of dealings with the justice department on discrimination in housing okay yeah. that was a really big thing and and what enabled them to even do it in the first place were things like redlining that came after slavery so black people couldn't live where white people lived. Yeah. So I think that's one reason. I also think former President Trump had a responsibility as president, you know, regardless of what he personally did, to see that the after effects, systemic racism um, is something that needs to be addressed. And I think not only didn't he address it, but he exacerbated it in some cases.
0: Yeah, but, so here's the thing, and look, I- Trust me, I'm not going to get into an argument with you about President Trump's uh, moral moral standing when it comes to race. As a Hispanic myself, I've heard some of the things that he said, including all the Mexicans crossing the border are rapists and criminals. Quote, unquote. Specific words, by the way. And those words matter. But you know what? Here's where I'm going to give President Trump a pass. What this study tells me is, tr- Trump may be that overt blowhard who says the things and does the things that are that we can put our finger on and say, "Wow, what a racist action!" Wow, what a racist statement! But is he really that much different from all the other people in this system that this that this 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 this, this report shows us, where 25 percent of the Senate come from families which were slaveholders, and even today. We, we tend to see that their, 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 their nuanced actions also reflect the same things that were taking place more than 100 years ago.
1: No? Right. And I, and I think that um, if you look at the case of lawmakers, um, to, to state something of in particular, South Carolina, um, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, that the people who represent those districts, um, not only are from states that, you know, were at the heart of uh, slaveholding in our country, but as a study showed, many of them descend directly from slaveholders, yet they tend to be the ones that are pushing back the most against things like, you know, promoting diversity, addressing systemic racism. And so I, I've, I've often told one of my friends If you can name a slaveholder in your family tree, then you ought not ever speak against um, uh, that there isn't systemic racism. So in that sense, I do believe that they are even more responsible because not only are they in power, as former President Trump was, but in additionally, they know what's in their family tree, and so they can't say they didn't realize the problem existed. I wanna talk
0: to you in just a moment about the personal side of this. First of all, as I teased at the very beginning before I started my interview with you, I'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that on your grandfather's side, you come from slave holders. On your great-grandmother's side, however many years you wanna go back, I don't know how many greats we have to put in front of the word grand, you come from slaves. That is such a unique and fascinating perspective to carry with you throughout your life. And I think that's something that's also worth part of the conversation. And I want to share with you as well what it's like for me as a Latino. We are minorities in the United States of America. We love our country, but we also are not afraid to point out its blemishes. So I want to get into that a little bit because I think this is a good topic for that type of conversation between two guys like you and me. We're going to come back in just a minute. Uh, with this uh, conversation with Calvin Dark. By the way, I'd like to continue this conversation with you. We can do so on Twitter. Love to talk to you on Twitter or X or whatever the hell they're calling it these days. My handle there is Rick Sanchez TV. That's Rick Sanchez TV. And I'll look forward to hearing what you have to say in particular about this story. But when we come back, so on the question of. Who had slaves prior to the Civil War? Who do you think had more, Republicans or Democrats, and why? We'll take you through that. We are in Dagestan, one of the most ethnically and culturally diverse regions on the entire planet. As you make your way through Dagestan, you will discover each region is known for its own unique arts and traditions.
1: Known in Vietnam as the American War, the Vietnam War lasted for almost two decades and dragged in numerous countries. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of American troops were sent to the country to back the South Vietnamese army. Đó, đi, không biết, đi, không biết, American soldiers murdered resistors mercilessly, burned down entire villages, and spread dangerous chemicals. Did the Americans ever fully acknowledge what they did and are the Vietnamese veterans ready to forgive?
0: Welcome back. I wanted to mention something else that Reuters also did when it broke down this uh, study. They also looked at party affiliation. What they found is this. 28% of Republicans come from families that own slaves, while only 8% of Democrats did. But before you come to the conclusion that this means that Republicans are more racist, let's examine the why. You see, the vast majority of elected Republican officials come from southern states. That's where they've been elected recently, in southern states. The south is where slavery was rampant because it was more profitable there. So it follows that they're more apt to be descendants if they're from the south. Just as northern elected officials today will be more apt to come from families who were part of the non-agricultural businesses like manufacturing. So let's get back to this conversation with uh, Calvin Dark. And before uh, we went to break, I mentioned this about you, Calvin. I think it's fascinating that you actually represent both sides of this argument. We don't need two guests because you could literally speak for both. What it's like to come from knowing that you come from slaveholder family, because you do, while knowing that you also come from slaves in your family, which you do. How do you deal with that, and and what, what how, how does that
1: shape you if if it does? Oh, it definitely shapes me, and I'll add one other interesting dynamic to that. Um, the town where I grew up, uh, I have very close relationships with the white people who are part of the slave owning family, wow. because we have to remember these are rural areas. We literally grew up across the street. From each other wait no no no
0: you're not telling me that they have reclaimed you have they I mean your your white ancestors mm -hmm. have embraced you and
1: said you are a part of our family like family get-togethers and stuff like this it's it's either one of two extremes the more common extreme is people that I've known growing up who are white who didn't really know for sure that we were related right even though um, our families, you know, are, are connected by location and everything like that. And in my research, you know, especially doing some, like, genetic genealogy where I was able to, like, actually prove it. Yeah. One extreme was just distancing. And I, I really got the impression that they didn't know what they, what was expected of them. You know, were they going to be asked to apologize? What should they do? On the other extreme, now, this is less well, So commonly, wait a minute. Take, take me back. I think I, I lost you a little bit there. And I think maybe the listeners and viewers did,
0: too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying you've, you've had opportunity to confront, or maybe confront is the wrong word. Embrace, meet your mm-hmm. ancestors on your uh, grandfather's side, mm-hmm. and when you when you when you reached out to them uh, mm-hmm. and told them you and I are related, how did they respond? What, what did they say? Did they say BS? I don't believe you. You can't be. You're black. I'm not.
1: No, most of them had ideas. You know, they never confirmed it. Um, and it was, I didn't get any real, um, uh, negative reaction, but I did get kind of standoffishness. Like they were afraid to really pursue it because they didn't know what that opened up and they didn't want to really know the details of, uh, those slaveholding relationships. Cause like I said, these are people that I grew up with. Now I will say on the other extreme, I had a couple of people who, when they heard about my research, or you know, relatives of people I contacted, called me, and you know, one lady apologized for her relatives. She even said she was hoping that her relatives weren't a part of you know the slavery institution of slavery. Um, I had one uh, uh, one of those white relatives who happens to be married to an African American man. Uh, in short, told me that her way of rebelling against the racism that had been in her <laughs> families, she married a black man, and their children are African American, you know, and they're mixed. Um, so that's something that I've had to really grapple with, and you know, kind of you ask, you know, how that kind of informs me and in what I do. I see a connection with that when you mentioned your situation here, because. My friends in the Latino community, I've always been jealous of um, one thing in particular, uh-huh. and that is not being able to point to exactly where my culture comes from. You yeah. know, I can point roughly to a continent, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was intentional. It's because, you know, that identity was stripped away. And one of the things that it's made me kind of grapple with is because I did research on the side of the, those who were enslaved and the enslavers, I know from in Northern Ireland the towns where the, the enslaver was from. I've had to ask myself, do I claim them? Do I have a right to claim them? Do yeah. I want to claim them? Um, And so those are issues that are. No, 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 no.
0: no, no. You're not copping out of this. You just asked a very important question. And I'm going to fire that right back out at you, you know, that you had a man in your descendancy who was a rapist Mm -hmm. uh, and as you refer to him, an enslaver. And it's it's funny that you're using that word because it has some very negative connotations. Mm -hmm. Do, Do you accept the fact that he was just a man of his generation
1: or do you think he was a son of a bitch? Well, I think in his particular case, he was a uh, he was in the system, you know, and he didn't fight back against it. However, what started my research project was on his deathbed, um, because you know he had the two slaves, the, one, the 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 slave woman, and then the child that resulted. Mm-hmm. They were going to be remaining in slavery after he died, and so he kind of had at the last moment this epiphany, I guess you want to call and it. Freed them. And, and, well, he tried to in North Carolina, um, like many southern states, it was illegal to free your slaves unless you paid like a huge bond. They wanted to discourage free black people in those states. And so I, I make sure that I give him credit for that at the end, but that I recognize that, you know, um, even with that, I don't think he saw them as equal. I don't think he saw them as fully human beings. And I think that that, unfortunately, after slavery was over, that carried, out, carried on into our laws and our society. And we still haven't addressed it. You are a delightful guest. Thanks so much for uh,
0: taking us through this conversation. Like I said earlier, you could, mm-hmm. we couldn't have picked a better person to have this conversation with. Thanks again, my friend. Thank you. Enjoyed being here. Hey, before we go, I want to remind you of something. Our mission, it's simple, really. We want to de-silo the world. We've got to stop living in these little boxes with one set of rules over here, one set of truths over here, one set of truths over there. No, truths don't live in boxes. They're everywhere. I'm Rick Sanchez. I'll be looking for you again right here where we hope to provide a direct impact.